0: went in that sooner than I expected. Caught me off guard. How are you guys this morning? Good, 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 good. good. I'll, uh, if you're uh, visiting this morning, well you picked a, a good day to visit. I'll tell you more about that in a minute, but I'm glad that you're here. And and uh, kiddos, good to see you all. Are, are, is it good to be seen? Okay, good, 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 good. Good. <laughs> um, and uh, if you're visiting this morning, just uh, uh heads up that we've got our kids are sitting up here this morning. That's typically what they do. They're coming from Uh, their Sunday school, and then uh, right before the message, they're going to head out to kids' church. Um, If you have a kid today of kids' church age, which would be up through fifth grade, even if you normally would not send them, you may want to consider sending them today because today's sermon has got a PG rating on it and so I will tell you hopefully if you, if you saw my email you already know this but maybe you didn't see the email um, the, the nature of some of the content of the sermon things that come up in the scripture will probably not be appropriate if they're 5th grade and younger um, that's for you as a parent to make that decision I would say if they're 6th grade and older I would highly recommend you keep them in here However, if you've not had certain talks with your kids yet and uh, today would be breaking the news if I said things, I don't want to be the one breaking the news to your kids alright, so just keep that in mind um, if that catches you off guard um, then hopefully you're, you, you feel comfortable enough to send your kid the kid search, um, but you have some time to make a decision, you have like 15 minutes before I get back up here to make decisions, but I want to be able to talk freely I want to be able to tell, tell you what the scriptures are saying, but just so you, you know it will not be overly graphic it will not be unnecessarily explicit we're just going to talk about what the scriptures say, okay, so fair, fair warning there um, wow, that's a great note to start out on. But hey, if you're visiting, it's a good day. And, um, and I'm glad that you chose to be here. And, and I hope that today you, you find that the Lord is going to encourage you. I think that you're going to find that the Lord is maybe going to confront us with some stuff. Going to challenge us to live uh, in, in, in more in alignment with who He is and how He's revealed Himself. And going to help us to think through some things that we are all having to navigate as we live today. Just in the world that we live in. Uh, If you've never given us a connection card, hopefully you got a bulletin on the way in. Uh, On the front side of that bulletin, down at the bottom next to the Facebook sign, there's a QR code. I'd invite you to take your smartphone out if you've got one of those and put the camera on it. It'll pull up a a website, give you just a few questions, uh, information that we can get from you. Just so we can stay connected with you, get you on that email chain so that you are able to be in the loop on things. If you prefer a pen and paper option, then outside at our welcome center, you're able to grab a connection card on the way out. Fill that out and just leave that there, and uh, we'd appreciate that from you. Uh, If today is uh, the day that you choose to worship through giving, uh, and it is the joy and the privilege of people who call Houston home to give, I want you to know that, so if you're visiting this morning, that's not an expectation we have of you, but for whoever you are, if today's the day you choose to worship through giving, (laughs) we've got boxes in the back at each of the doorways, or you're welcome to give through any of our online options, and uh, those are always available to you, All right, and that's really all I've got uh, this morning. This, uh, by the way, is not a sermon prop. If you're on Facebook, somebody's got jokes. I think I know who put it out here. And I checked it when I got here. There's ice and something in there. I'm not really concerned about it. But as I said on Facebook, you know, this is tied to the whole Super Bowl excitement thing, dumping Gatorade on you. I would welcome that kind of excitement in this room, okay? We'll see what happens. It's not mine. It's not mine. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're grateful to you. We are grateful to be able to gather. Uh, what a, a, a cold, blistery morning, and yet, God, I'm, I'm so thrilled to be seeing people here. And I, and I thank you, God, that, that you are worth that for so many people, that so many people consider what they want to do with their Sunday morning, and they think, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get dressed, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out in the cold, wet rain, and I'm going to go to church this morning. I pray, God, that you would speak to us. You always do. Your word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Your spirit is alive and in those who are believers in Christ. Your, your spirit is among us. There's never a question of, are you speaking? Never. You're a God who speaks. You create the world by your words. You're a God who speaks. You're a God who has revealed yourself to your creation. You're a God who speaks. You're a God who wants to be known and can be known. God, turn our hearts toward you that we might know you more deeply this morning. Show us what it looks like to worship you this morning. If there's things that are going to keep us from hearing from you, if, if we're holding on to some anger this morning, if we're holding on to some bitterness, if we're holding on to, to a lack of forgiveness of someone, if, if we've got something that, that is just in our hearts and, and is, is threatening to keep us from hearing from you, God, bring that to light. Shine your light on that. That we might confess that to you this morning. That we might put that before you. That we might walk in the forgiveness that you've purchased for us in Christ. And we might be cleansed from that, that our eyes and our ears and our heart might be tuned toward you this morning to hear, to see what you are doing. We might not miss out on who you are. So teach us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: been so, so been faithful and all my life you have been so so
0: Bible go ahead and grab those uh, you're going to Romans chapter 1 if you need a Bible there should be some on the chairs there around you uh, you're going to go to page 736 736 if you are using one of those Bibles uh, from the chair Romans chapter 1 so we're just continuing our way through Romans um, I like, well, it's my preferred method to preach through a book of the Bible. Uh, one, because you get things in context, but two, um, because it forces you to preach on things, or in your case, to consider things being preached on uh, that maybe you wouldn't normally do. Uh, if a preacher tends to lean towards preaching topics, they, they tend to go biased if if they're not careful, and that means we would just preach on what we like, or what's comfortable, or what's our favorite topic, or what we what we just choose to, to to preach on and not necessarily what comes up. And so going through books of the Bible gives us a healthy diet, gives us a balanced diet, right? Because it, it causes us to, to look at things that we wouldn't normally look at. That's this morning. So um, as you think about God, just start calling to mind things that you think about God. When you think about who God is, you think about his attributes, his characteristics, some of the things that you think about. Not, you don't have to yell them out. I um, just want you to think about them in your mind. What are, what are some of the ways that you think about God? We probably go immediately to love. We just sing sung about God's love for us. We think about God's grace, how, how God gives what we don't deserve, how good he is. We sing about God's goodness, that, that all that God does is good. Oh, and that who God is, is good. We think about his compassion and his, his mercy, how, how he, he oftentimes withholds what we deserve, right? We don't always get what we deserve because God is merciful. He shows mercy. We, we think about that. Uh, this week we were at the, in our, our group with the young adults. We were going through a book and the chapter we were on was talking about God's attributes. Some of the ones we talked about was God's sovereignty. How God is over all things. He's the supreme being. There's no no being greater than He is. He's the creator, so He's the highest level of authority that it, there is. He's eternal, right? Maybe you think about God always existing. Maybe you'll call to mind things about God being Trinity. Um, one of the things that we talked about that's really important to keep in mind this morning is God is unity. Or He's unified, which means this, that all the different things you think about God, things that we just listed, some of the things we're going to talk about this morning, He is all of those things at the same time in perfect unity perfect harmony. In other words, there's never going to be a time where one of God's attributes are going to give way and be more uh, present than another one of God's attributes. He's always going to be in perfect unity, perfect harmony, that the attributes are going to be held in perfect balance, tension, unity, pick whatever word works best there for you. But I bet some of the things that don't come to mind often for many people If you've grown up in church that teaches the Bible, perhaps you've thought about these. But most people would not think about God and think just, meaning what God does is right. Um, Most people would not think about God being wrathful, filled with wrath toward sin. And yet that's something that the the scriptures reveal. In fact, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Righteous is another thing to describe God. That what God does is right, who God is is right. right? These, are, these are things that come to mind, but what, we're, what we have to be careful about doing when we think about God, because what you think about God is the most important thing that will ever pass through your mind. There's no greater thought you will ever think, have ever thought, than what you think about when you think about God. Because what you think about when you think about God shapes and influences everything else. Who you think God is, how you think God is, what comes to mind when you, when you think about God influences the way you live, the way you respond to God, the way you treat others, the way you view the world. It all is impacted by what goes through your mind when you think about God, which is why it is so important that we don't start with what I want to think about God. We start with God, what have you shown us about yourself? And that's where we, we go this morning. So we got several verses. We are not going to go in detail on a lot of these verses, but I am going to have us read all of the verses by the time we're done because you, if you haven't read these verses yet, you need to be familiar with them. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18 is where we're, we're going to start this morning. And here's where we're going to kind of try to tie it all together this morning. Rejection of God rightly deserves the wrath of God. It's not a warm, fuzzy thing. <laughs> This is not going to be one of those, those messages where, where I'm, I'm saying, come come here because you're going to feel good about yourself. That's not one of those messages. I, I don't preach those really anyway. Um, but but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be showing you what's in the scriptures because this is what Paul the Apostle is doing at this point in the letter to the Romans. But it's helpful to understand where Paul was and where he's been and so that we know where he's going. So far, Paul has has said, hey, uh, I'm I'm called and I'm set apart for the gospel of God. And he defined what that is. He said it's about his son, Jesus. It was was written about in the scriptures, the Old Testament, so it's not new, right? Jesus is both human and divine, right? He's he's clarifying what he means when he says, I'm set apart for God's gospel. Last week, we, we looked at how he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. For, for salvation for all who believe. And verse 17 he said, uh, and, and for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then verse 18 comes right after that. Right after he said, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And here's the question we should be asking. How is the righteousness of God revealed in the Gospel. See one of the things that we talked about last week is Paul could have been combating this understanding that the Gospel, believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will be saved, that's the summary of the the message, could have been taken as too easy, too simple, um, maybe it diminishes God's holiness if, if God just allows people to just believe in him and then he brings all kinds of people into his family. How can God do that without compromising his righteous character? And so one of the things Paul's writing, in fact, I think one of the primary things Paul's trying to do in, in the letter to the Romans about God is show how God's righteous character is upheld in the gospel. But the question is how? How? How is it? And, and we're going to see how, how people reject God and God um, is, is right to respond with His wrath. And so let's start with looking at the reason it's right for God to respond with His wrath is because there is no excuse. That's where Paul's going to start. There is no excuse. Verse 18: four. So he's continuing his thought. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is the the, the big summary statement for the next several verses that we're going to look at. Paul starts there and he says that verse 17, In the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed because or for the wrath of God is revealed. There's a need for the righteousness of God to be revealed or the reason the righteousness is revealed is because God's wrath is also being revealed against unrighteousness, ungodliness. In other words, God's righteous character, this is where Paul's starting, is not compromised. How do you know that, Paul? Because his wrath is being revealed against unrighteousness. Here's how he's going to tell us. Right? So he starts there and now this is the beginning of a section in the letter to Romans that's really going to go through chapter 3 verse 26. And what Paul's going to do, this, this section and then in chapter 2 and then in the later part of chapter 2 and early part of chapter 3, is he's starting to build this case that there is no room for any person, regardless of your background, your, your ethnicity, your upbringing, your, your moralistically good nature orientation. There, there's no room for anybody to say that I don't need the grace of God. There's no room for anybody To say that I am outside of the wrath of God. Because what Paul is going to do. Is he's going to include. Today 18 through 32. He's going to really kind of hone in on non-Jewish people. What the the non-Jewish world would have looked at. But what he's really kind of doing. Is he's also including the Jews in that. Because when he gets to chapter 2. He's going to say and by the way. You. And he's going to start addressing the Jews. If you think you're exempt. Because he just spent time talking about what they in their minds, the Jewish mind, said, Oh, that's Gentiles. That's not me. So Paul is going to take these these next um, several chapters and he's going to show how everybody falls short of God's glory. How nobody is exempt from, from the need for God's grace. And so he starts with this. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And look what he says. Who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. So here's where Paul starts. People are unrighteous, people are ungodly, therefore God rightly responds with wrath. How are they unrighteous and how are they ungodly? They are suppressing the truth. Now when Paul talks about they in their unrighteousness they suppress the truth, the image is this, perhaps you've heard it, maybe you haven't, it's an active suppression. It is an, an actively Pushing down something that wants to come up. Think about being in a pool with a beach ball. Right? That's, that's one of the greatest ways to think about this. You get a beach ball in the pool and you push it down so that maybe you can sit on it or maybe you can you just hold it in the water. And what is that beach ball doing? It's it's wanting to come up, but you are actively pressing it down. That's the word here: actively suppressing, holding down something, forcing it down. Paul says, "In their unrighteousness, humanity." is actively suppressing the truth. That's, that's far from saying is ignorant. That's far from saying humanity has, has no way of knowing God. Paul's starting out and saying, no, here's the case I'm going to build. They're actively suppressing the truth. There's an act of rejection. Okay, so he, he really here sums up all of humanity. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All right, Paul... What does that look like? What, 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 what are you describing to us? Go with me to, to verses 19 and 20. For, he's going to keep explaining to us, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Remember I said it's right for God to reveal His wrath against the unrighteousness of humanity because there's no excuse. That's where Paul is here. What can be known about God is plain. So Paul's starting with an understanding that there's nobody that can claim, I did not know that God was real, that God existed. There's nobody that can claim ignorance. When when they find themselves under God's judgment, under God's wrath, nobody's going to be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know you were real. Paul says, because God has shown it to them. And how has he shown it? Paul's making a case now from nature. He says his invisible attributes, things that, that, that you can't necessarily see about God, they can be seen in nature. His invisible attributes, particularly his eternal power, his divine nature, you can clearly see that in everything that's been created. Now, you know, I mean, take, take, take a, 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 a night where the sky is clear and you go up and you stare at the stars. And you look at the constellations and you think about how people have used those constellations long before there were iPhones with uh, maps and Siri telling you where to go and they used those constellations based on where they were in the sky to guide and direct them. That's pretty, pretty amazing. But, but even more amazing than that, you, you read about in Genesis how God put the stars in the skies so that they could be signs and then you start to consider the fact that these constellations that at times, God has used some of these to show what he's been doing in history. Take the birth of Christ. Take the star uh, that, that was taking place as likely planets aligned like they've never aligned before. You think about the timing of such things. Now, imagine you get a telescope and you're, you're now looking out there and, and you're looking at Jupiter or Saturn or Mars or the moon and, and you think, wow, that's just, that's amazing that that's out there. Right? And, and, and then maybe, maybe you've seen pictures of more powerful telescopes where there's galaxies on top of galaxies. And, and when you start to consider how all of this is so closely aligned, and, and, and just to get a, a little nerdy on you for a moment there's this scientific principle. It's called the anthropic principle. opic, man, anthro principle. And the idea is that the, the universe, or really particularly the earth at least, is designed in such a way that it supports the life of humanity. And it's things like this, like, like the, and I can't remember the stats, I haven't looked at them in a while, but the level of oxygen in the air is, is, is so so perfect that if it was just a, a slight percentage more, not even a full percentage more, there'd be fires everywhere. And if it was a slight percentage left, not even less, not even a full percentage less, then we wouldn't be able to breathe. The rate at which the earth rotates... It's so specific that if it was just slightly faster, the wind on the planet would be too great for us to live. But if it was too slow, it would also not support life. You know, I mean, it's, it's the, the distance of, of the nearest stars are, are so precise that if they were any closer, then gravity uh, would start to have its effect and the universe would start to crumble because of the gravitational pull of certain... I mean, when you start to consider lightning, like if there wasn't enough lightning in the world, there wouldn't be enough nitrogen in the ground uh, to produce l- uh, vegetation. And yet, you know, I mean, there's just... You look at all the specifics. I mean, just Google it. Or or duck duck go it if you want to get off of Google. Alright? Anybody? Alright. Alright. Just me? Paranoid? Okay. Alright. So just look up. Anthropic principle. I know, I know you're out there, people. I know you're out there. Um, so so look it up. So what Paul is saying is you can clearly see that there is a designer. Come a little closer to home. Consider your body. Consider the fact that when when you cut yourself. Most of you, if your body's working the way God, God intended and designed it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bleed a little bit, but then after a while, what's going to happen? That blood's going to clot. That's amazing. I mean, I, I just sounded like Blippi. Right? Uh, <laughs> some of you know what I'm talking about. right? Uh, I can't help it. Right? And so you think, man, how did that happen? Or, and then your skin starts to, to heal and, and maybe you have a scar, maybe you don't. I mean, it's, it's, it's so amazing, right? And, and, and you think about just the way your body, the immune system works, how it's designed to fight off foreign things. I mean, it is so well designed. Right? I mean, it's one, of the, it's one of the reasons why, personally, I could never buy in to a belief that things randomly came into existence and randomly were pieced together so that they eventually reached the point where we're at now. I just can't buy that. That takes more faith than to believe that God specially created for us to be like that. That's the That's the point right here Paul's making. There's things about God that can clearly be perceived in nature, in creation, so that nobody can say, I didn't know God exists. I didn't know there was a God. You may not know who God is and all that he's revealed because what Paul's describing is what we would call natural revelation. It's what can be known about God through nature, through observation, through experience in nature. It's enough For a person to be left without an excuse for denying God, it's not enough for a person to be able to know all that God has revealed that is necessary and required for salvation. That's what we call special revelation. Where God has revealed Himself through Jesus, through the scriptures that has been written by by the, the apostles, by the prophets, through the Holy Spirit. That's special revelation, and Paul's describing natural revelation. But he's saying, hey, God's righteous wrath against, his, against rejecting him, is it's right for God to be wrathful. Because people are without excuse. There's nobody that can claim in any part of the world that I didn't know. All right, let's keep going. Verse 21. for they knew although they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. And so Paul is starting to describe the disintegration, the, 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 the degrading nature, or the sinking into depravity that humanity faces and that humanity has brought upon themselves. He says, they, the people who are actively suppressing the truth about God, which by the way is every person apart from God's grace. This is where humanity is apart from God's grace. And and you can see that played out in history as you think about just from beginning Genesis and Adam and Eve, and and you think about the early stories of your Bible. Noah and God had wiped out the earth except for Noah and his family. You think about the Tower of Babel and the rejection of God there. I mean, this is the the pathway that people have gone. But they, although they knew God, okay, so, so Paul's starting with they knew God. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They knew Him, but they chose not to respond to Him as God. They chose not to give Him the honor that God deserves, that God alone deserves. They chose not to give thanks to Him. So you think about that all the civilizations of the world who have rejected God and instead of rejecting God, they turn to other false gods. And instead of honoring and giving thanks to God for his provision and giving thanks to God for what he has done, instead they say, thank you, Marduk, thank you, Zeus, thank you, Aphrodite, thank you, Baal is the one you'll find a lot in the the scriptures. And instead of honoring God, they honored other gods. They didn't give God the due things. Or you think later civilizations ours or, or western ones where instead of it's not false gods because after all that's just ridiculous there's no supernatural world it's just what we can see and so they, that, that now in, in the world where we live in what's more prominent is exaltation of reason and science and, and, a, and a diminishing of the supernatural world or anything you can't see there's only what is. And so I, I choose not to acknowledge God and I go so far and I say He doesn't even exist. There's no God. Paul's saying, they knew God, but they chose not to honor Him. And in doing so, they became futile in their thinking. Empty in their thinking. Useless in their thinking. See the connection? You reject God, you become empty or useless in your thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. You reject God, your heart pays the price. When you reject God, not only does your your thinking, your way of thinking become empty and useless. Not that you can't think, but that the way that you think is empty and useless before God. And your heart becomes darkened, you're calloused. Now, Psalm 24 verse 1 starts out this way. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's what Paul's getting at here when he talks about their foolish hearts. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. That's what Paul's saying that, that people are. He goes on and he says, and look at this, is so telling. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They, 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 in, their, in their empty, futile thinking, in their darkened hearts, they didn't repent and turn back to God. Instead, they exalted themselves and said, we're pursuing wisdom. We're pursuing a better way of life. We're more enlightened. We know more now than what we did then. And we're evolving as creatures to a higher level of existence, a higher level of love. Pick pick whatever the case is. They, They see that their behavior and their way of thinking, they don't see it as futile. They see it as wise. But to God, it's foolishness. Because when you reject God, your thinking becomes empty and useless. Your heart becomes darkened. And he goes on in verse 23 and he says, and in their claiming to be wise and acting like fools, they started exchanging the glory of God for immortal, uh, the, of the immortal God for images. They started replacing God. Why? because they knew there was a need for something, but they didn't want the God who created them, the God who, who, is, who is holding them accountable to the way they live, and so they, they get rid of that God and they replace him with, and you think about civilizations, idols. Let me fashion out this, this representation of my God out of wood, pour some gold on it, say a little prayer or a chant, put it up on a shelf, now you control my life. It's empty, it's useless, but in, in the mind of someone who is actively suppressing God, it's like wisdom to them to think that, that we're just we're pursuing and we're appeasing this God. They exchange the, the glory that's due God, the immortal God, for images. Okay? He's talking about idolatry. Now Now keep that in the forefront of your mind because Paul's going to keep going. But idolatry... Anything where we put something that is created in the place of the Creator. Where we give honor and glory or thanks to anything created in the place of the Creator. So it's right for God to respond with wrath towards unrighteous humanity because they're without excuse. It's also right for God to respond with wrath toward unrighteous humanity because they've traded the truth for lies. The truth is traded for lies. And so now we're going to see more of what that starts to look at. When you exchange the glory of God for images, here's what happens. Verse 24. Therefore. By the way, therefore tells us this is a result or this is the reason What Paul is telling us is, here's the result. They exchanged the glory of God for images. Therefore, here's the result. God, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is a picture of what the wrath of God looks like. It's not just something that's future. It is future. There is a day where the wrath of God will be experienced upon all unrighteousness. But Paul's talking about present tense. The wrath of God is revealed. It's currently revealed. It's being revealed. It's not being stored up for a future day. It's happening now as well. What does that look like? When unrighteous humanity Actively suppresses the truth. And they exchange the glory of God for something that's created. God's wrath is seen in that He gives them up to it. God steps back. He removes his common grace, the grace that's on all of us, that keeps us restrained or keeps humanity from being as bad as we could be if we were just left to ourselves. But there are times where God, in his righteous wrath, his response to humanity, actively suppressing the truth and rejecting him, is to give them up to what they want. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, your kids will say that they don't like your parenting because you don't give them everything they want. And you, if you're a good and loving parent, right, you're going, you have no clue what you want and what you're asking for, you have no clue where that leads. I do, as your parent, I see further, I've been down that path, right? I'm trying to protect you from, from going down that path, right? Your, your love is seen, your mercy is seen in parenting your child in that way by not giving them what they want. That's a loving parent. It is not at all loving, for a parent to give their child everything and anything they want because it will lead to their destruction it would be a form of your judgment upon them it would be you removing your mercy from them and so this this idea that, that we shouldn't uh, I'm not going down the parenting road, never mind. Okay, so, so I got other stuff we got to get into. So, so God removes himself, therefore he gave them up. That's God's wrath being revealed against unrighteous humanity. You want to chase other gods? You want to exalt other things? God says, go. And that's a judgment upon them. It is not at all God's blessing. If you find yourself being able to do whatever you want, to experience any desire that you want, and those desires oppose God, you're not experiencing the blessing of God. God's approval is not resting upon you because you're finally happy. Instead, you are experiencing the righteous wrath of God, where He has given you up to chase every desire of your heart, and you will never be satisfied. And you will never find what you're ultimately looking or longing for. God gives them up to to let them chase the impure things. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they started worshiping the creator rather than or the creature rather than the creator. Let's keep going. Here we go. Verses twenty-six and twenty-seven. I'm gonna spend a few more minutes on these than than the others because of where we are in culture. For this reason, still talking about the process, the the degradation, the just disintegrating process that's taking place. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Paul gets very specific here. It's the most specific place in the scripture that talks about homosexuality. It's not the only place. There are six places in the scripture that talk about homosexuality. Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18. You've got Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 22 where it's included in the Old Testament law. Then you've got here in Romans and then you've got 1 Corinthians 6 and you've got 1 Timothy, I wanna say it's four. All right, but this is the most explicit it gets. Consider the context. The unrighteousness of humanity, actively suppressing the truth, exchanging truth for lies, worshiping the creation rather than the creator, God gives them up to chase their lusts. What's the result of them chasing their lusts? This. This is where humanity turns to. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Now, this is clearly talking about homosexuality, okay? This is a judgment. Paul is describing this as a judgment of God on humanity. This is God giving them up to chase what should not be done. Now, in our society, here's some things that we need to think through when it comes to this. Some will say Paul is only talking about one type of homosexuality. We would call it pederasty. Today, we would call it child molestation. Okay, but pederasty was a specific thing practiced in the Roman Empire <coughs> leading up to the time of Paul, and likely at the time of Paul, older men, younger boys. It was prized. In fact, it was, it was viewed as, it was good because younger boys looked more feminine. But then when younger boys got older, they were less feminine, so then therefore it was, it was less, less prized. Okay, some people say that's all Paul's talking about. If that's all Paul's talking about, one, he could have said that. Because there's words for it. It was already established as a practice. He could have specifically said that. Instead, he gets gets pretty specific in verse 27, or in verse 26, he starts with the women. Women were not involved in pederasty. In fact, I know this, this might sound kind of strange, but in the Roman culture, whereas some of the older men to younger boys' relationships were upheld as good... Right and desirable, never in the Roman history was the women's relationship with another woman held up. Never. It was disgusting to the Romans, it was shameful to the Romans. In fact, you were banished to an island called Lesbos, hence the name. Okay? That was never an accepted form. And Paul mentions it specifically, so he can't be just talking about older men and younger boys. Plus, he could have said that, and Paul doesn't specifically say that. And there's not really a whole lot of evidence that by the time Paul was there that it was as prevalent as it had been. Okay, some people say, well, no, no, okay, well, what's what's talking about here is excess, like somebody going outside the bounds of, of what would be... Natural. So you see the word natural, nature in there. We're going to come back to that. But they would say, no, this is excess. Like someone is just, just being excessive, right? They're not committed. It's not a monogamous type of relationship. It's just full on lust, pursuing passions, right? That's what Paul's condemning. Except that he's not, right? Because that's not what he means by nature. And, and so when we, when we hear people talk about it like that, they'll say, listen. When Paul says they do what's unnatural they're talking about a person who's got a heterosexual orientation, who goes outside that natural orientation and acts in homosexual ways. And they're saying that's unnatural. But Paul's not talking about, they're saying, Paul's not talking about someone who's got a homosexual orientation who acts in accordance with that nature. Here's the problem. The scriptures never have a category for what we today call sexual orientation, never. It's okay to talk like that if, we, if we're having conversations to try to help communicate, but you need to understand that the scriptures never allow for such a category. There's, there's no orientation towards, towards one sex over another. It's God created male and female in his image, and the two are complementary. But the idea that we have of, I'm born with a particular orientation towards one sex over the other, that's foreign to the scriptures. And so Paul's not, not doing that. That's us taking our current language for today's culture and imposing it on the scriptures. Okay, so some would say that's what the nature is. But this word for nature was a well-established word also. And, and it meant what goes past the moral boundaries of what's been established as moral. It includes biology. It includes what Paul is saying is there's, there's, there's men doing what is not natural with other men. Their biology does not support this. You get what I'm talking about, right? Paul's talking about this natural, uh, the, the nature, the biology, the moral standards that have been set up that inherently humanity knows this is not how things were designed to be. Paul's talking about this kind of thing, going against the design, the intended design. Um, one other thing, just, just because I, you're gonna hear these kind of things. Uh, some people will say, no, this was a, um, kind of along the pederasty lines. This was like gang rape. This was, this was that kind of thing. Again, Paul doesn't even mention that. And that's reading into the text something that's not there. You have to assume something's there and then read it into the text. It's better to go study the history of the Roman civilization at this time. Be careful doing that. I was listening to some of the, the practices of what the Romans actually did. Paul's, Paul's very, very filtered here. As... as, as, as unfiltered as you may feel this is right now for the Bible, Paul's being very filtered as far as what they practiced and how explicitly they were miraculous. the Roman emperors I think there was 15 of them in the, in the course of the Roman Empire, I heard this week 12 out of 15 of them not only engaged in female relationships but also male relationships 12 out of the 15 emperors it was an, it was an exalted thing, alright we, we gotta move on I could, I could hammer this. I told you in the email I'm not going to make this a sermon about homosexuality, but one that mentions it because Paul mentions it as exchanging the glory of God for the creation. He talked about idolatry and, and, and exchanging the glory of God for images. Listen, as humanity actively suppresses the truth and they disintegrate into that sin and God gives them up to chase their desires, what happens is we replace God with things that are created. Homosexuality is that. Replacing God with something that's created. In this case, it's the human body. And it's exalting the human body as an idol. Homosexuality's root is idolatry. And the root of idolatry is pride. Because when I exalt, Creation over the creator. I put myself in a position where I say I know better than the creator. I'm acting in pride. Now, we're going to keep going because Paul's going to mention other sins. And I could go off on homosexuality and make it seem like that's the only thing Paul mentions that unrighteous humanity does. And that the the wrath of God is being poured out on. And that would be untrue. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Verse 29, look at this list. He's still describing what it looks like for unrighteous humanity who actively suppresses the truth to be given up by God to chase those lusts. Here's what they look like. Here's what humanity looks like when they reject God. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, they're slanderers, they're haters of God, they're insolent, they're haughty, they're boastful, they're inventors of evil, they're disobedient to parents, they're foolish, they're faithless, they're heartless, they're ruthless. Paul talks about those things too. Now, our temptation is to, to think about homosexuality and, and, I, and I do have a few more things I need to come back around and say about that. But Paul, our, our temptation is, well, I don't do that. I'm not that far gone. And so then we start to, to rationalize and justify ourselves going, well, I'm not that far gone. But then we read a list like this and there's no one in this room who can be exempted from this list Ever. Like this, this may not be what characterizes you if you're a believer in Christ. It should not be what characterizes you if you're a believer in Christ. But as a believer in Christ, you still see these kind of things manifest in your life. You still see sin manifest in your life. And maybe it's not homosexuality, but you gossip. When you when you talk about people and and even in the church world, and we say, Oh, but we gotta pray for them. But you've just just slandered them in the way you talked about all their business. We do that right, or, or we do whatever we need to do to get ahead, doesn't matter if we're doing evil to someone and we're hurting them, it's what I've got to do to survive, right, I've got to do this in my job so that I can survive, and never mind that it's uncharacteristic of believers, or haughty, I'm prideful, or I boast about what I can do, right, or I love this one, disobedient to parents, are like, you're like, really, that goes on the list too? Yeah, it goes on the list too. Because people who are given over to a rejection of God don't honor the authorities that God places in our lives. They're foolish, they're faithless, they're heartless, they're ruthless. Listen, we cannot exempt ourselves because we go, I'm not that far gone. I mean, think about the the rationality of that. Well, I may sin, but I don't sin that much. God... I, I sinned, I violated your glory, I, I, I rejected you in this way and this way, but I didn't reject you in that way, it doesn't matter. We still reject God when we, when we actively suppress the truth. Right? Now, we have got to be so careful of not taking a sin like homosexuality and elevating it to where it gets all of our attention at the expense of approving of these because those are more socially acceptable. Okay? Okay. We've got to give sin equal due, right? Equal opportunity, right? We, we have to treat it the same. There's no discriminating when it comes to sin. Sin is a violation of the glory of God, whether you lied once in your life or you were completely given over. It doesn't matter. You've fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul says God's wrath is revealed against righteous, unrighteous humanity. All right, verse 32 Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. This is what it looks like when, when humanity who rejects God is given over. Not only do they do them, they approve of them and they encourage others to do these types of things. Rejection of God right, rightly deserves the wrath of God. Now, you think about a few things here this morning. I flew through some of that. One... Think about where society has been and is continuing to go. Not only do they do these things, but they give approval of those who do these things. You reject God and, and, and thinking that you're becoming wise, you become fools. You start calling sin good. And so things that, that oppose the, the very nature of God instead get redefined. And so we call murder of people in the womb reproductive rights. Sounds a whole lot better, right we, we call same sex marriage equal rights. We, we call slandering people, regardless of my position in, in in society. we call slandering people what I need to do to get ahead right and we start to excuse these things or relabel them and we say it 's okay right This is what uh, claiming to be wise but they became fools looks like when we start to, to the list could go on and on. You watch the news. Well, hopefully you found some good, reliable news sources by now, right? But you see the types of things that are happening and and the things that are being approved and the direction things are continuing to go. Just put this filter on that and, and, and ask yourself, are they acknowledging God as God and giving thanks to God as God? Or are they rejecting God, claiming to be wise? They've become fools. Are they doing things on this list that you see there, that whether it's the homosexuality or whether it's, it's the lying or the maliciousness or the slander or the gossiping or, or the faithlessness or, or any of it. Are they doing things on there? Because that is what justly deserves the wrath of God. Homosexuality, let me say this. Paul in verse 14, when he talked about wanting to go preach the gospel to the Romans he says, because I'm in debt. And what he did not mean was that I'm somehow gonna try to pay God back for the grace he's given me, but because of the grace that God has given me, I have a debt that I, I've gotta pay and I owe it to those who are far from God. When, when Paul considered those who were far from God and the grace that he had been given, he saw a debt that needed to be paid, which is why he would say, I'm obligated to go share the gospel with him. If we're not careful too often, Those of us who tend to have more conservative lives, more conservative biblical values, uh, more conservative perhaps to a degree political values, I don't know if that's even right to say, right? But those of us who tend to be more conservative, instead of feeling a debt because of the grace that God has given us, we hear about somebody's lifestyle or the way sin is manifesting in their life and instead of feeling a debt, we feel disdain. And that's wrong, we are not in a position, ever, if you've received the grace of God through Christ, never are we in a position to put ourselves up here to look down on someone else because of the way sin is manifesting in their life, the way they're giving into it, or whether, whether it's known or unknown. We, instead, should look at this list and say, do I have any of that still in my life? Because it has no place in my life. None of it not the gossip, not the slander, not the lying, not the maliciousness. As a believer in Christ, where the Spirit is dwelling in me, I have no place. Am I giving a place to it? Am I letting it pay rent? If so, it needs to be evicted. Because if I go, and this is Pharisaism, this is judgmentalism, this is the type of judgment that condemns others, we we take the grace of God that was not earned, freely given... And we say, but you are not deserving of it because of the choices you're making. You who has placed yourself up here, we're not deserving of it either. And you might not even know it if you are placing yourself up here. Claiming to be wise, you might be acting like a fool as well. And we have got to be so careful of our heart motives. Because Paul's point as he goes through is, you think you're exempt? There's nobody exempt from falling short of the glory of God. And I know this this kind of stuff sounds like really bad news, right? And, And there's going to be another week like this where we're looking at verses where Paul's going, hey, you think you're good? Let's look at you now. Hey, you're a Jewish person who followed the law? Let's look at you now. Because we cannot understand the need for the gospel. And what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Why do I need good news? Unless I understand that I am under the wrath of God apart from God stepping in and doing what I cannot do. I can't be prepared, accept know, receive the good news of the gospel if I don't first know why I need it. And that's where Paul's going is this is the case this is the wrath that you are under but he's going to get to chapter 3 and he's going to tell us how God did what was necessary in Christ for those who believe. How that wrath that God that, that God was pouring out on, on unrighteousness and humanity was redirected to Christ as He hung on the cross? Because God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel. God never sweeps sin under the rug. Never he takes it seriously. He has to. He's just. He dealt justly with sin when He gave the just punishment for sin to Christ on the cross. So that then Christ died with that, rose from the dead to a new type of life so that those who believe in Him might receive that type of life, be removed from the wrath of God. So I want to say to you this morning a couple things as we wrap this up. One, if, you've, if you're caught up in sin, any of the sins we talked about this morning, if, if you're caught up in an addiction, if, you, if you're more characterized by something on that list, then, then you are the fruit of the Spirit. If you, if you find yourself wrestling with, with same-sex attraction, let me say this. Temptation is not a sin. It's not a sin for me to be tempted in something. God, God knows Jesus was tempted in all things like us, and yet He did not sin. Temptation is not the sin. It's the acting on the temptation. It's the giving in to the temptation. So if you're this morning, you, you, you are someone or you know someone who, who you're tempted to give in to same-sex attraction, that, that, that temptation is not you in sin at that moment. That's sin in your life trying to manifest, but you don't have to act on it. Just like me, a heterosexual man who might be tempted to act on my sin in another way, don't have to give in to it. But I may be tempted, the temptation is not the sin. It's when I start to give in to that, whether in my mind, whether in my heart attitudes, whether in my actions, whether whether I'm I'm, I'm tempted to lie because I might get, get in trouble, whether I'm tempted to gossip because I want you to know I know something, right? The temptation is not the sin. It's the giving in and giving over to it that is a sin. And, and, and I have that, that Spirit of God believer. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Spirit of God who helps you in your temptation to not do what you want to do, but instead to do what God in you can do. And if you're feeling that temptation, or hey, if you're caught up in that sin, what God would say to you this morning is repent. That means turn from that sin. Right? That, that, that God is absolutely forgiving and merciful in Christ and believer in Christ, there's not a sin that you've ever committed that Christ did not die for. Not one sin you ever have committed or will commit that Christ did not die for. And yet, if you live your life thinking because Christ died for me and I'm forgiven, I can do whatever, you should question whether you belong to Christ or not. Because the abuse of grace is not the spirit at work in a believer. Search us. That's what we're gonna ask, God, search us. Now, I've got some discussion questions that maybe you wanna think about. Take a picture of this, you won't have time to write it down if you want these, and then we'll post them too. But maybe this'll help you kinda think through it, maybe have some conversations. There's a lot in these verses. Most of you who have encountered um, things regarding homosexuality, because it's in your family, and nobody's really untouched by this at this point, Maybe, maybe you need some additional resources. If you need those, let me know. I've got tons, right? But I'm, I'm assuming you've probably found some, some good and reliable ones. But if not, let me know. Or hey, I heard this argument against this. What do you think about that? Those are the kind of conversations I'd love to have one-on-one, right? Because I can't cover every single thing that's happening uh, in our society in a message here, so. All right, let's just take a moment. God, what do you have for us this morning? Let your spirit brood over us shine your light where there's darkness in our lives where we're giving rent show us what you want to say and lead us into repentance if that's needed It's mine you let your spirit keep speaking to us throughout the day that he, he will take what, what's in your word not even what I've said what's in your word that's what matters and apply it to our lives and help us to see ourselves like we're looking in a mirror and that we would not choose to walk away from that mirror without changing without repenting if repentance is needed without turning to Christ and faith if that's, that's where we're at this morning but we would see ourselves as you see us then we would also see what you have done for us in Christ and that that would would stir up in us the same type of debt that Paul felt, that we would not elevate ourselves above others because at the cross, the ground is level. That I would not feel like I've got to stay away from people who are caught up in sin, but instead God because of the grace that you, you have shown to me that I would move toward people That they might see in me and hear through me your love for sinners. Because as you told Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came to die for sinners. Not saints, for sinners. He came to die for people who were rejecting you. But God demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God, we get it so backwards as, as believers sometimes because we get so far from understanding our need for grace and so then I pray God that you would then remind us this morning apart from your grace apart from God being rich in mercy we would still be under the wrath of God because we too would be actively suppressing the truth were it not for you opening our eyes and calling us into a relationship with you through Christ we would not know so God then make us a people that move toward sinful people like you moved toward us. Make us a church that moves toward sinful people like you moved toward us. But let us never give way to approving of what opposes you, what is sin. Help us to find that tension of both grace and truth. If you're able this morning, as we dismiss, will you please stand? And as you're standing, I'll say, I'm going to hang up at the front. If you have something you would like specific prayer about, I'd love to take some time and pray with you this morning. It's bad news that God's wrath is revealed against the unrighteousness and ungodliness of humanity. But there's good news that God doesn't leave us in that state, but did what is necessary that we might be removed from his wrath and put into a relationship with him. So depart from here and be people who experience the grace of God, who live the grace of God, who share the grace of God. And do in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys.